God. I believe we all do. And we're going to get to know him better as healer. Amen. It is my prayer and my hope that you all would go out and begin to pray for the sick. Give God a chance to heal people. Amen. We are the open door to everything that Jesus has. We are his inheritance. Amen. And so we hold the key. So we're going to uh, dig into the word today and minister. After uh, after the word, I'm going to pray for people who want to be healed. Also going to pray for people who are healed and winting. And amen. Healed by faith and want to see it fully take over their their bodies. We're healed in, from the inside out in God. Amen. Man does it from the outside and stays outside because that's all man has access to is our physical person. But God heals from the inside out. So because your spirit is born again, healing really begins there, and then it begins to permeate the rest of your body. Amen? And so that's why we have faith, and that's why we have hope, and that's why we stand on the word of faith that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. So we're going to talk today about the fact that miracles follow the blood. Amen. Miracles follow the blood so that you'll understand how to how God heals, how he gets uh, healing into the earth, how he's done it in the past. His covenant is consistent throughout the ages. Uh, it's better now because it's built on better promises. It has a better foundation. And so we understand that this blood covenant that we have is full of the miracle working power of God. There is no limit on God's miracles to people. It's not like, you know, uh, um, you know, there's a song that says you're next in line for a miracle. And God said, there's no line. There's no line, so there's no next. Huh? Come on now, y'all. Come on. Get with me now. I'm not going to replow this field again. Now, y'all just going to have to step up here and jump in. Where you jump? But if there was a line for miracles, who formed it? How did it form? Scripturally speaking. Amen. So there's no line for miracles. See, that kind of, of untruth helps us to stay waiting for things that we've already received. So you have the miracle worker living in you. So there's no line. Amen. And really, if there is a line, I'm going to do like most people do. I'm a bogart on my. Find out the who in front of me in line is weak and skinny looking and beat them up and take their place. Because mm-hmm. I refuse to wait for stuff that's already given. Huh? And God wants us all to be, he wants you to be the type of person who refuses to wait for what's already given. Amen. So every thought that comes to you that tells you it's okay to wait is a lie. Amen. Amen. Because what are we waiting for? Huh? We ain't got ready so many times and waiting for his coming, get ready. Wealth transfer is coming, get ready. And then we look around and we didn't miss the train left without us. And we, we thought we was ready and it left without us and gone already. Get off that stuff, y'all. And get on the word and get in the faith because miracles follow the shed blood. 
Amen. They always follow the shed blood. So it began with Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden. God shed blood as a symbol of what was already done. Bible says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth. So Jesus was already in in mode of having shed blood when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Now if if that if he hadn't shed it already, then God would have to be playing catch up to the devil. That would make Satan smarter than God. Because then God would have to figure out and think up something to help us. But our help was done already before we even got here, before we sinned, before we showed up, before anything went wrong. Our help was already given. Amen. From the foundation of the earth. The only thing that happened in the garden was Satan fell in God's trap. You hear what I'm saying? The devil fell into God's trap. Adam and Eve didn't do anything that God didn't know they were already going to do. Same thing with you and me. And he still heals us. He still promises us. He still prospers us. Even though we fall into these traps of the enemy, the enemy is more entrapped than we are. Because for stealing from one of God's children, the devil has to return sevenfold everything that he's stolen. Amen. He gets reduced to poverty over and over and over again every time we believe God. Every time you give in an offering, every time you give of your service, every time you give of your time, every time you give of your talents, he has to go into his coffer and cough up what he's already stolen from humanity. That's why he's so angry. He's broke, dispossessed, angry, upset, wanting to hurt somebody, wanting to kill somebody because he's a loser. Because we are winners because of the shed blood. Amen. We are winners because of the shed blood. So it started with uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. And then we see a covenant with a man called Abraham that included blood. A blood covenant was what people would, uh, you would see it, uh, and you see it now in some cultures around the world. People recognize that their need for one another. And the blood covenant was a way to strengthen a weak individual and to increase the influence of the powerful. So the powerful would condescend and offer to cut the blood covenant with a weaker individual. And that weaker individual was able to assume all of the strength of the more powerful one if it was ever needed. That's a man's covenant. In Christ, we assume the identity of Christ, we could assume his essence and his resurrected power. Amen. So the resurrected Lord and King of glory resides in us by virtue of our accepting the shed blood that he shed. So this is a better covenant based on better promises because God swore by himself that he would keep his word to himself. To bless us. That's a higher covenant than keeping his word to you or to me. 
See, when you have to keep your word to yourself, it's like if you promise your children something and you think, well, I I, I can't do it right now. Uh, You've broken your word to that child. But what about your word to you that you wouldn't go back on your promise to your child? See, what we vow to ourselves has the highest power ever in our lives. It's more powerful than what you promise another individual. Even though we mean well when we say we're going to do certain things for people. But see you can go through life breaking promises with people. And not feel bad about it at all. If you don't have an inner vow holding you to keep your word to yourself. See I gave my word to this person. And see the, the people that you might partner with vary. You know we like doing for the ones that are grateful. Nice kind. But what about them rough ones. That God tells you to go pay a bill for them or something like that. And they mad at you all the time. Don't like you. Done left the church. Lied about you. Talked about you. And all. God, God said go take care of them. Yeah. See you'd never do it if you didn't have a vow within yourself to keep your word to yourself. So that's what God has in his blood covenant with us. He swore by himself because he could swear by no higher. He swore by himself to himself. That in blessing, he would bless us, multiply, he would multiply us. So really, if he sworn that to himself, that cancels out any bad behavior on your part. Because he's going to do it anyway because he told himself he was going to do it. As what do we do? We just enter in and say, yes, 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 yes. What do I have to do to get in on this? Amen. Well, all you have to do is believe. Repent of your sins and believe. And the blood covenant belongs to you. You become the recipient and the beneficiary. And you don't even have to shed any blood. That's better than the old covenant. Because when the the first the blood covenant was signed. God had to have a token from Abraham and all of his descendants. That they would faithfully follow God. And what did he tell them? What blood did they have to shed? The circumcision. And so the first circumcision was done by a 90-year-old man. Huh? (laughs) You'd have to really have that. This have to be really big. Now, Abraham, you sure this is going to take care of me for life? Are you sure this is right? Huh? But see, now all we have to do is accept that the, sh- the blood was shed on our behalf. Amen. And so that entails that we would, would believe beyond where we can behave. You have to believe. Uh, you, you have to hope against hope anyway. Some people have to hope against hope that they could be saved. That they can be changed. That they can get rid of bad habits. That they have to, you know. And so that's our sacrifice. Is to let go of what we believe, let go of self, let go of flesh, let go of all of that stuff. So that's our circumcision. When we circumcise our flesh and cut it off from believing in ourselves, cut it off from letting it not, cut it off from letting the weakness in our lives dictate who we are. Amen. Amen? Not that person anymore. You're a new creature. And so the blood begins to speak better things to us once we receive the blood. You know, if, if you're what we call struggling Christians, there's no struggle. The devil's got a struggle trying to keep you. You don't, you don't have no struggle. 
The struggle was going, done at Calvary. Amen. The struggle's over. All you have to do is accept what God has done and believe with all of your heart that God is for you and not against you. Read your Bible. Renew your mind to the new creature that you are. Amen. And old things will really, truly be passed away. You're a new creature who's never lived before. Amen. And so when when we talk about the the miracle working power that comes through the shed blood, Abraham lived a miraculous life. He and his wife had a baby when they were uh, almost a hundred years old each. Abraham was 99. Sarah was 90. Amen. And so they had a child because it was promised to God and they believed God and it was counted to them as righteousness. Faith in God is always counted toward us as righteousness. Everybody who ever believed God came under that righteousness blanket so that whatever they needed was provided for whatever they they had increased their hand their crops never failed they never went broke they would they would always get renewed again some of them started off bad and wrong and wound up getting converted and got to be the head of 12 tribes you understand what i'm saying and so that shed blood does the miraculous first it makes a change in us that we become new creatures we have no past we have no history we have no weakness we have no rap sheet we have no nothing amen and we can walk in in life as totally new creatures and it's a wonderful thing as long as we walk after the spirit and pursue the spirit and what does the enemy does he comes knocking on your head and trying to remind you of something your old man that's dead now used to do Amen. That old dead man used to do that. That person doesn't live anymore. And first, in fact, that person does not exist anymore. Amen. Because they were crucified with Christ. You're raised up in a new life. That's the first miracle that ever comes in a Christian's life. That you are a new creature. No rap sheet, no fingerprints, no outstanding warrants, no nothing like that exists for you. Because you've been totally absolved of any wrongdoing. So God's not looking for us to condemn us. He's running after us to bless us. Remember David in, in when he ascended to the throne of Israel after Saul had been killed by the Philistines. David didn't have to kill him in order to get the throne. And we need to tell that to some Young ministers sometimes, you don't have to kill the man or woman of God that's helping you and leading you in order for you to get somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? You can just let that ride that out and when it's your turn, God will put you there. Amen? But David waited uh, and, and when he found that Saul was dead, he went searching for Saul's children and grandchildren. Amen? Why? Because David was a covenant man. He had a covenant with God, number one, but he also had cut a personal covenant with with Saul's son, Jonathan. And that that donated that David, number one, could not kill Saul because he was in covenant with Jonathan. You don't kill those that you have vowed to protect and help live. 
Also, David had to take care of any descendants of Jonathan. So he goes out looking for anybody left over. He finds out, finds out there's one little lame grandson that's still alive, Mephibosheth. And so he's looking for him. Mephibosheth hides from David for a long time. Then he finally finds him. He's just scared and nervous. And, blah, 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 blah. Huh? and David said, I owe it to your father and I owe it to God to bless you. Yes. Amen. Yes. Yes. He grabs up Mephibosheth and brings him to the palace. Mephibosheth eats at the king's table all the days of his life. Because, not because of anything he did. It's because God swore by himself because he could swear by no higher that he would take care of him. So he finds us to bless us, not to punish us and not to condemn us. Punishment's off the table. Amen. And this new covenant is totally off the table. In the new covenant, 1 John 1, 9. Is our scripture. Amen. That's, that's what applies. Since Calvary, 1st John 1, 9 is our covenant scripture. And it says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Not only forgiven, but cleansed from all unrighteousness. You know how it is sometimes your kids cut up and act up and all that and you, you know, you forgive them, you get sweet to them again. But in the back of your mind is, now I gotta watch this one cause, you know, they didn't cut up before. I don't have to, you know, cause they might do it again. But see, God doesn't do that. See, you can't cleanse your children from all unrighteousness, but God can cleanse you. So what that means is that the next time you approach God for something, he treats you as though whatever it was you had to confess the last time never happened. Punishment's off the table, period. Jesus took enough punishment for everybody who will ever live. So when you confess your sins, you don't get punished, you get cleansed. Which helps you not to do it again. See, when you get cleansed, there's something about, you know how you, you might be wanting a nice suit or a nice outfit or something for a long time. And then you finally get it and it all fits and comes together. And it's just real nice. And when you get all sharp like that, you don't want to, you don't want to wrinkle it. You don't want to get it dirty. You want to take care of it. That's what happens to us when we're cleansed from our sins. You want to stay clean. You don't want to get dirty again. See, a lot of people think that, oh, you know, you get, you get forgiven your sins and uh, that's, that's too easy. You take advantage of that. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it's like you're forgiven no punishment. How does God keep you from doing wrong again? Like you're that smart. You can outsmart him. But when you're cleansed, you don't want to. You want to stay pretty. You want to stay looking nice. You want to stay, you know, women, when they go get their nails done, they t- touch everything very delicately. They want to bump because you want it. It looks so nice. You want it to stay nice all the time. That's us when we're cleansed. We're not only forgiven, we're cleansed. There's a difference between just being forgiven and being forgiven and cleansed. 
when you're cleansed, you don't go out looking to sin again. And when you do, you know you have an advocate with the Father until you run to the advocate. Cleanse me again. Ooh, I like it when I'm clean. I, I feel so good when I'm clean, huh? Like they talk about when you first got looked at my hands and my hands was new. I looked at my feet and they was too. Changed my heart, changed my mind, yeah. Well, that's the same thing. We get that every time we go before the throne confessing our sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. There's no law against righteousness. The devil can't pin anything on you when you stand in your righteousness. Many people had different ways throughout the history of the church of acknowledging the blood. Amen. Uh, during the last turn of the last 20th century, they would do something called pleading the blood. Amen. And, and it really follows up in 1 John 1 9. Let me find that and, and read it so I make sure I'm not skipping anything. Praise God. All right, I got it. Hold on. <laughs> it says, if, oh, in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins as a judge and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness as an advocate. Amen. Uh, I'm trying to find this. Shannon, can you find it where we have an advocate with the Father? If you can show me that one so we'll know how Jesus um, presides for us in the throne room of grace. Yeah. First John 2, 1. All right, great. It says, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous and he is the propitiation for our sins so he is not only your lawyer it's you that that he goes to bat for you now you're a pit, pitiful client if you get a lawyer that turns you in and goes to talking for the other side huh <laughs> absolutely right yeah 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 now a good advocate will not do that they always have the best interests of their client in mind. Now, I've been in court where we had a, a lawyer that uh, said, well, we have to make those people whole. I said, what about making me whole? You work for me. Let them people talk. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So you can get in these situations where you get these flaky, flipped out people that are not for you. But when the Bible says you have an advocate, that means that all the way down the line, he's for you. You can't do nothing to get him on the other side against you. Amen. All the way down the line, he's walked in your shoes. He was in a flesh body. He's been tempted in all things, just like you are yet without sin. So if he can come through it without sin, he wants to bring you through it without sin. He doesn't want to judge you harshly because he did it right and you still cutting up. 
You understand what I'm saying? When he, because he came through perfectly, he'll say, now listen, let me tell you how you do this. I'm going to show you, you're going to walk in the steps just like I did. You're going to come through perfectly just like I did. And when you don't do it right, he still advocates for you. Comes to bed. He never gets tired of being your lawyer. He's never too busy to talk to you and put you on, you know, hold somewhere or let one of the clerks talk. He talks to you himself all the time. And he comes, goes to bat for you. So he is a great high priest. The high priests were taken from among men and Jesus was taken from among men just like the Levitical priesthood. But he came in a different order. He's of a higher order. Amen. After the order of Melchizedek who had no father, no mother, no beginning, no end. He just showed up perfect and righteous to help you. That's his purpose to help you. And so Jesus is our advocate. That means when you plead the blood of Jesus, you are entering the one plea that will bring you through perfectly every single time. When you plead the blood, that's your only, you know, just as I am without one plea, except the blood was shed for me. That's the only thing you plead when you get in trouble. Father, forgive me. And I accept the precious blood, shed blood of your son to forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's your only plea. You don't talk about how you was with the wrong company and Pookie Nim set you up and you shouldn't have been out that night. And You don't plead that. Because when you do that, you're trying to plead on your own good behavior. You're in self-righteousness instead of his righteousness. But when we plead the blood, we step into his righteousness and the devil's trying to find you and can't touch you and he's trying to get you. And the blood blinds the devil from where you are. Amen. It causes you to be invisible in the, in the, uh, in the natural realm. He can't find you to pin sin on you. And when you're cleansed from all unrighteousness, the Bible says that your conscience is purged from dead works. I see this is some people really have problems with. Christians get all messed up with this stuff. Because instead of seeking a clear conscience, we seek to start trying to defend ourselves. You can tell when a saint is messed up because they go to talking about how it happened. Well, you know, when I was young, I had this happen to me. It got nothing to do with that's a dead person you talking about that person came not be found i don't know who you talking about we go to inner healing deliverance coughing up stuff and putting it in bags and when pleading the blood is so much cleaner if nothing else amen That's your only plea. You don't need to go through 15 and 20 steps. Now, I believe in in helping people if that's the best they can get. But listen, you you can't be delivered from the power of a dead person. They have no power. They're dead. They're dead. Amen. Now, you can carry that dead body around with you. 
you know, I, I heard it preached by a couple of ministers about how the Romans used to punish people. If you murdered somebody, instead of burying that person, they would tie that dead body to you and you would have to carry it around with you until it disintegrated. That's what Paul was speaking of. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And it was the body of your death that you caused that person. And they would tie that person to you and it began to rot and it began to stink. But you carried around with you forever. Amen. Then he said, praise be to God who always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. See, you can carry around the body of the death of your uh, sins and your iniquities and your misgivings and your mistakes and your failures. But I encourage you to plead the blood and stop that nonsense. Amen. Because that person you used to be is totally dead. But you have to reckon that person dead. Amen. When you add up, I did this wrong yesterday. Ooh, I shouldn't have cussed my landlord out. I'm, I'm sorry about that. I, I did something right. I didn't didn't give him the offering like I promised. Didn't pay the tithe. I spent my grocery money on some cigarettes and stuff. And let me add that up and see what I. But I'm dead to that. Huh? You reckon when you when you reckon something, that means you total up, and then you add the sum of it, and it's dead. D e a d. It has no power over you. Amen. What you did wrong has no power over you as long as you confess it to God. That's why you need a great high priest in the heavenlies. He sits over the mercy seat, not the punishment seat, folks. There's no punishment seat in heaven for the blood bought. Amen. The blood is your plea. When you go in there and you know like people go in the courtroom and, and, and wanna be their own lawyer or some defend themselves. Huh? Or you say the man who has him, uh, who defends himself has a fool for a client. You need somebody with more power than what you, cause you about to go to jail. If you don't find somebody that's free and out already that has power to help you, you won't get any help. And so God has given us the authority in the courtroom of heaven where the father and the son sit. The son sits on the right hand of the father and they minister over the mercy seat that is sprinkled with his blood. And when he sees his blood and you plead that same blood on your behalf, He cleanses you from all unrighteousness, exonerates you from sin, and purges your conscience from dead works. Now, how does he purge your conscience? When you get in the word, you find something that's going to help you. You go in the word and you find a scripture. If you're having problems with self-control, you find a scripture that tells you you have the power. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. And meditate on that until you embrace it for yourself. And then you can go and serve the living God without being hindered. If your conscience is purged from dead works, it's in order that you can serve the living God. God would rather have you forgiven, purged, and serve him than to sit in time out because you did something wrong. He's not into that. 
Amen. He wants you out there working. He wants you out there doing the things he's called you to do. You're more valuable to him uh, if he will release you from the penalty of your sin and take a chance on you messing up again than sitting around doing nothing because of something you did a long time ago. People, all people want to be free. Yeah, yeah, everybody want to. Well, you know, uh, I, I did wrong, but, but I'm forgiven. But you want to hold everybody else in bondage for that. With the, huh? Something talking, talking right now? See what I'm saying? So that door's got to swing both ways. That's why God said, if you don't forgive people, he won't forgive you. Those who show mercy will receive mercy. You don't get none if you don't give it out. Amen. And so that keeps you honest before God. So you need to be busy instead of thinking about what, what you did wrong and how you so condemned and you so unfortunate and you, oh, you know, I used to be able to do this and I didn't do that no more. I, 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 I. Hmm? You don't lament about weakness. You move into strength. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Why? Because you have the chief prophet living inside of you. Who when he speaks through your spirit, he can declare the things that you need in life and those things will manifest in you. Amen. We have a, a, a prayer, a scripture we confess about the blessing of Moses. And it, it says we used to pray for, well, y'all still probably do, but I changed mine. It said for those over 70, I hit that bad boy when I turned 59. I say, I'm not waiting till 70 to believe my eye ain't dim and my natural strength is not abated. Cause it's fading every day as I stand here. You know what I'm saying? So I hit that bad boy. I scratched 70 out of mine. I said, cause when I hit there, I'm already have it working. You see what I'm saying? Amen. That's what you do. And so God wants us to live in health, total health. He wants us to live in total freedom. Nothing hindering us. From receiving the things we need from God. That's why we have an advocate for the, with the Father. You need a good lawyer. You need somebody. You can go to him and say, Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry. I respect your blood. I honor your blood. Amen. I thank you for shedding your blood for, please forgive me for what I've done, Lord. Help me to do the right thing. Help me to do better. I want to please you. I don't want to, I want to walk up right before you. Amen. And let that be your plea at the throne of heaven. You don't have to go up there and talk about all this nonsense of why you did wrong and why he knows why you did wrong and he don't care. Okay, y'all you can sleep on that one if you want to, but I'm going to tell you, he knows why you did wrong. You don't even know why you do wrong lying anyway so quit lying and go to pleading amen you don't have to beg for anything you just declare what god says you give him his covenant word back to you job was on a a, his bed of affliction for i just call it 39 chapters can i don't know i mean I don't know how long it was in days, months, and years, but for 39 chapters, he sat there and tried to talk about what he didn't do right, what he did do right. And then his buddies joined in and wanted to, you know, mess with him some more. And now it looks to me as though Job was a priest. Well, he, he made sacrifices and offerings, but it looks like he was either a priest or a judge or both. 
because he talks about the times where he when he he would sit at the gates of the city and people will stand and honor him. So he was much more than just a man with a bunch of money and some some renegade kids and, and lost it all. Also, God God told told Job to array himself like a man and declare declare to me, Amen, your covenant. Job got sick of feeling sorry for himself, and, and God got sick of sitting up there listening to that nonsense. Amen. God had to put up with it for thirty nine chapters, just like Job did. And one day, God just shows up. In, you know, out of nowhere. And he said, who is this that perverts knowledge? If you know where to, he said, talked about where the, uh, the curtain of heaven is tacked. Tell Amen. If you know how the seas are held back and who's holding them up, tell that to me. Other than that, shut up and start arraying yourself like a man. Amen. And what that means is get out of the garment of self-pity and get out of the garment of of lamenting your life and get out the garment of wishing you weren't born and get out the garment of all this stuff that we go through sometimes when we can't have what we want or we are not as strong as we used to be or we're not it's not working like it used to work. We got to stop get out of that mindset. Of lamenting things and feeling bad, feeling sorry, like we can't do no. And God said, put on some clothes, Job, you stink. He didn't even tell me he had to wash first. That was mercy. You got me? But get him, put you, but I believe he was talking about his priestly garments that he would use when he came to minister. He said, declare to me and I will, will prophesy to you. That's how we deal, Job. You come to me with what you need. You declare to me. Let's get back to old times. Remember, that's how we used to operate. We used to, you used to get up and begin to declare my covenant back to me and I would declare to you what I was going to do to you. Well, get up and do that, Job. Stop this nonsense you're doing with your buddies. When God showed up, Job got up, the buddies split. Huh? And was never heard from again until Job prayed for them. So it looks like he had to get back on his regular job. Oh, no, that couldn't be right. Pastor Byron, because Job, he was sick. He had boils. He had, yeah, but I bet he got up on his feet when God told him to get up, didn't he? Because he could have done it all along. Why you sit here, Job, going on and on and letting your friends get in sin too, talking about me like I don't have no power. Many times we spend a lot of time thinking about things, trying to figure things out, trying to say what's this, what's that, when all we need to do is start to prophesy, just declare the things of God, declare unto God, God, your covenant says I'm healed. Don't ask him why you ain't. This ain't the time to question God about what's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Did you hear what I said? Yes. Nothing's wrong. We don't have a wrong covenant. We have a righteous covenant. There's nothing wrong with you. You just need to get up and start acting like you believe God. He's looking for some action, y'all. He's not looking for. 
You know, sometimes we'll confess the word a little bit, wait and see what happens. See if the earth gonna shake. No, it ain't gonna shake. <laughs> Amen. But it will if you move it. Huh? You get up and start doing some of the things that you couldn't do. Amen. When we have the anointing for healing to come into the room, we start doing those things that we could not do, even if it's just a small gesture. The little girl was at, uh, I think it was Oral Roberts meeting. Her parents had brought her in. She was totally paralyzed. I think she might have been blind as well. And they would put people like that in a, a outside room because they may need more help. They had people that would take time praying with them and so forth. And so I think Brother Roberts would come through and, and pray for them and command certain things. And he prayed for the little girl. And they said, start doing something that you couldn't do before. And the only thing that she could move was she could blink her eyes. And she started to blink them under that anointing and her limbs started to move and she got up and ran around that place and see mama, I told you I was going to get it. I told you I was going to get it. Just like the woman with the issue of blood. She knew within herself. She told herself that if she could just touch his hem, he didn't have to lay hands on her. She said, I'm, I know how to, I know how to sneak my healing off of this brother. <laughs> You find a way to sneak your healing off God if you need to. But you'll get it. Faith always gets what it sets out to get. Always. Always. Well, I've been doing it in faith. Keep doing it. Because doubt is right behind you. See, if you're doing the right thing and you say, well, I've been doing that. You're just trying to defend yourself. Just keep doing it. Amen. See, when, when we do that, we still have this internal argument that doubt is fighting you. Your faith is there. But doubt is giving it a hard time because doubt will tell you, well, you've been doing it this long, that long, that long. <laughs> doubt is always counting days, hours. How many times do I have to confess it? How many times do I have to listen to this tape? How many, how many, how many? Amen. So doubt is, is fast on your heels trying to steal it away from you every day. See, we're not doing anything wrong. We have a, a an adversary that's coming to steal it from us. Nothing wrong with what you're doing. It's the adversary that's got the wrong stuff working. So we have to do as what Abraham did. Consider not. God, you mean I can totally ignore? Oh, yeah. You can totally ignore the devil. You can totally ignore symptoms. You can totally ignore crazy people that want to tell you why you're like you are. Listen, that ain't getting you out. So God don't send them people. It's like Job's detractors. God didn't send them to go. You know what they were? They saw the man of God on his back. Saw him sick and they figured they pounce. The church is full of people like that. We got more pouncers than we got believers sometimes. You understand what I'm saying? No, they glad to see you infirm. Cause then they can ask you what's wrong with you. Huh? Nothing's wrong with me. 
I'm healed. Huh? Just like the lepers. God told, Jesus told them to go show themselves to the priest. Huh? And they were healed as they went. Now under the old covenant, you had to show signs in your physical body of being healed before you went to the priest. But Jesus said, go anyway. And as they went, the signs that they needed to show to the priest showed up. See, God, Jesus won't violate his own law, but you're going to have to do what he tell you to do. You understand? You can't sit there and say, well, but the priest say, I got to be this, that, and the other before I can come. He said, I said, go show. Amen? Go show yourself. He's not a man that he should lie. If he said go show, by the time you get to going and showing, the healing will be there. You understand what I'm saying? The evidence were there. And so Jesus got them healed as they went through the command of go to the priest and let him see what I have done for you. So miracles always follow the blood. Whenever Jesus ministered, he ministered under the authority of the shed blood that was shed from the foundation of the earth. Amen. He was the blood incarnate. So he carried the authority of the blood with him everywhere he went. Why? The Bible says himself took our sicknesses. He took our pains. He took our worries he took our cares he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin might live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are saved amen and healed and say because he himself took our sicknesses people say silly stuff like well the devil can heal no because jesus owns healing he himself took it nobody took it but him Nobody took it but him. Nobody took it but him. He owns healing. People say, well, he's a healer. No, he's the healer. Ain't no uh, because there's no others. But it's not uh here, uh here, uh, one over here. No, he is the healer. He owns it. There's no other name under heaven by which men will be saved, healed, delivered, whatever. Jesus owns it all. So we got to go to him for it. And when we go to him, we find he's a merciful high priest. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He never gets tired of praying for us. Now, you can wear wear your prayer partner out if you want to. (laughs) But that's why he's alive. One of the reasons he's alive is to make intercession for the church. Amen. And he's the best intercessor. He's got a minister over your confession anyway. Huh? He has to take your words and look through them and find the faith and allow that faith to cause to manifest how much you believe. It's always according to your faith. So he's not cheating. You got to send that faith out. 
And then he ministers over it and then returns to you what that faith can, can, uh, can possess at that time. You can't possess more than you can believe for. You try it. You let somebody deliver a, a luxury car into your garage. And just because they want to give it to you. See if you won't be nervous all night long about how to make them payments. Because you got to have some faith invested in it somewhere. But for, but for the faith that you have, whatever it manifests is legitimately yours. For whatever faith you exercise, whatever it manifests is legitimately yours. That means you can keep it forever. You hold on to it. Nobody's going to take it from you because you've received it the legal way by your faith. And you've got to express that faith. You can't let somebody else keep saying it for you and praying for you. You understand? I see ministers with churches on Facebook asking people to pray for them. I said, what kind of church you got? You understand what's that? You don't even know who's out here on your page and how they pray or nothing. Just church pray for me. Yeah, we gotta stop this old traditional silly stuff that we do sometimes. Pray for me, saints. Really? You're just gonna ask anybody? You don't respect Jesus enough to find out who he wants to pray for you? He don't want everybody in your prayer life. He doesn't ever want everybody sowing seeds into your spiritual walk. You understand me? He's, he's a, he's serious about his job as your intercessor and as your priest. You just can't throw that out for anybody to, you know, grab onto that and just, you know, if you're a pastor, you need to have your own church praying. You need to teach them to pray. You need to pray with them and raise up your own help. People that you've sown into. People that are obligated to you by God. You sown spiritual. You're to reciprocate with those people. Amen. People just floating around on a website don't owe you anything. Seriously. We got to understand that God has better plans for you. He's made better provision for you than that. You find out who's responsible to help you bear this burden when you have one. Amen. And it'll work out fine. So Jesus is the great high priest who intercedes for us. His blood allows us access to the throne of God. Allows us access to the throne of God. Romans 5, 9 tells us we are justified by his blood. Which means quit explaining about yourself. Making excuses about yourself. Trying to get people to understand. See, you don't understand. I had this, that, and the other. Huh? You're justified by his blood. All you got to do is confess your wrong. And allow the blood to cleanse you. And you owe no man no explanation about you. You know, people are all busy about trying to exonerate themselves. But you've already been declared righteous in the court of heaven. We don't even need to know what kind of a bad day you were having that caused you to do what you did. All you have to do is confess 
And God will clean that up for you everywhere. Only thing we're going to do is get it messed up more and more and more. You understand what I'm saying? Well, see, you don't understand. I was really having a rough day and and so-and-so took my money and -and so-and-so did this. We don't need to know all that. All you need to do is confess to God and allow him to cleanse you and set you free from unrighteousness. See, it's unrighteousness lingering in our consciences that tends to want to make us make excuses all the time. Give explanations. Huh? You know, I have people in the ministry, everybody's got a department, something to do and something, and everybody got a story. I said, just give me a yes or no answer. Do we have a milk or don't we? If it ain't no milk here, let's get to getting and get some. I care less about why they here. You know? <laughs> My husband had a, a, a slogan. They were, he was in manufacturing. You know, these are old, old hard factory guys. And they would have, you know, managers meetings and they would sit around the table and give a, you give an account of your department. And, and uh, one guy, who was, he was long-winded, and he would get on, well, you know, uh, we were under production this month because of, and the boss said, Come here. Don't tell me about the labor pains. Just show me the baby. Amen. I don't want to hear about what you had to go through and why it didn't work out. Just show me if you have it. Let's have it. If you don't have it, there's no excuse for it. Let's move on because we got to get the production up. And those people, when they would not receive excuses, For low production always got high production out of their people. Well, let me tell you why. Your confession is very powerful in your life. When you say, I couldn't do it because, what you're doing is giving yourself permission to continue to fail. You see? And that failure now has paved the way. You've made that confession. So that's out there for you to step into the next time you go to do something. So that's why some people never get it right. They never get it right, pastors. Because every time something goes wrong, well, I'm late because the kids held me up. Listen, you're going to have them kids for 18 years. You think you're going to be late every for 18 years? You don't do that your job. You understand what I'm saying? And so when we, but excuse making is not so bad on my part because I'll either do it myself or get somebody else who can do it, but it's bad on your part because you let that out of your mouth with faith. And so when you get ready to get up and do your job right the next time, that word of failure is sitting out there waiting for you. See? That's why parents, you don't like to hear excuses from your kids. You tell them, don't tell me that stuff. Just go on and, you know, if you ain't going to do it, go. Because you're helping them not to be continual failures, whether you know it or not. The reason it turns you off is you have righteousness inside of you. And that clashes with the righteousness that you're holding in your heart for that kid to get better. You understand what I'm saying? It's the same way with everybody. If we constantly look for excuses for why we don't have the things that God has promised us, we will find them. And we will not have the things that we say we're believing God for. 
So you have to wipe all of that soulish stuff out of the way and clear a righteous path for yourself to walk on. Father, I accept my life with no excuses and no apologies. I plead the blood over every footstep. I'm walking in your righteousness and in your word and in your way. And I will not receive failure. I don't expect failure. I'm not afraid of failure. That's why many times people don't get very far. They're scared to mess up every because they're constantly trying to figure out why they can't get it right. Instead of saying, God, you are my righteousness, I expect it to work this time. I expect it to be right this time. I expect it to go well this time. I expect it. And change your expectation. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Quit underestimating God's power to help you. You're a redeemed person. You're not that same old person anymore because you are justified by his blood. Romans 3.25 tells us that we have faith in his blood. Amen. That blood must must cooperate with your faith. You've got to have faith in what the blood has done. We say Romans 3.25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. You must have faith that that blood has paid for everything you've ever done wrong, ever will do wrong. Anybody else has done wrong, ever will do wrong. It's paid for everything. Henry Groover, the prayer walker, he passed away earlier this year. I was very sorry to hear that because he still had plans to do more things for God. But... uh Anyway, he he said God told him one time he he's one of these people who can he studied the word, but he's got his instructions from God. The foundation for all answered prayer, forgiveness and everything is forgiveness and remission of sin. So he's a big remitter type person. In fact, the work that he did throughout the earth in walking and and, you know, claiming area for God was done through forgiving sins that have been committed in those areas through the shed blood. So you got faith in what the blood can do. We need to have that too. But he talks about uh, God gave him instructions one time. He went in a bar once and God gave him, told him, he said, get some, some cards and put your name on it and your phone number and pass it out to people. And say, you can call this number at any time and confess to God whatever it is that you have done wrong. He said a man called him and, and was almost cursing when he called. Real rough sounding man. You're the man that said I can confess. Well, wait till you hear this. And this man was a gangster and a murderer. He told him about how he tortured and murdered all of these people and so forth and so on. And Henry said, I was just appalled. He said, but God told me, don't judge just forgive he was able to pray and forgive this man this man gave his heart to the lord with all of this blood on his hands he lived a clean christian life was happy was joyful see this is what god means by faith in the blood you can't believe the blood cleans cleanses some people and not others you can't believe it that it cleanses people who haven't done so much wrong and can't you understand what I'm saying? 
You know, for people like Bill Cosby sitting up in prison, he's over 80 years old and blind. What harm can he do? But see, somebody that knows God needs to go minister to him. Your sins are forgiven. And see, once he knows it, he knows it on the end. He has to have faith in that blood to forgive him for what he's done. Then prison doors will pop open one way or the other for him. You understand what I'm saying? God's mercy will enter into somebody's heart that has power to get him out of there. So that he can get free and start living for God. The whole key is to live for God. But when we live for God, we are cleansed. That blood has power to cleanse us of the worst evil, the worst things we could ever think of doing. One of the problems we have with with winning souls who are trapped in homosexuality, we just don't think they can change. But somebody's got to. If you change, they change. You've got to have that faith in you to let it work for somebody else. Amen? And we can win the world no matter what they've done, how horrible the things that they've done. You don't judge horrible or not so bad. That's not for us to judge. But God says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall short. And so that that blood, though, has the power. To cleanse. We must have faith in that blood that when we go to God repenting and asking forgiveness, that blood cleanses us when? How long does it take? Immediately. It says, if you confess, he will. So when you confess, you're cleansed. You got me? Problem with Christians, we don't like to confess too much. Right. We him and haw and, well, you know, you don't have to do all that. All these grace people and popped up again, telling lies. See, when you can't get an answer from God, they're not going to come and pay your bills for you. Huh? Yeah, the blood was shed once because the blood was perfect. You got to confess every time. I know I do. You understand what I'm saying? If you confess, God will put you on the right road. He'll forgive you, cleanse you, put you on the right road so you don't have to go through this over and over again every day. What we do is hide and try to cleanse ourselves and then go to God. And say, look how clean I am. Hmm? Try to fix it up so it's not so bad. Huh? But if we'll be straight up with him, he's got more than enough power to heal, more than enough power to cleanse, more than enough power to renew, to put us on the right road, to put us on the road to righteousness, to make things work in our lives. There's no law against righteousness. It's like a green light in the spirit. Huh? It's like you, if you go through a light and you know it's green, the cops start flashing behind you, you know it ain't about going through no red light because that light was green. Amen? That's righteousness on our behalf. It's our green, it's our go in the spirit. That's why some people can go and go far and not get hindered because they understand who they are as righteous people. They can just keep plowing, keep going, keep plowing. You know, there's some people that we see, see a mess up and mess up publicly and we think, well, how'd they get back in ministry? 
Huh? Confess it. It ain't your business. Amen. You just got to, if they preaching right, go listen to them. If God tells you to listen to them, you go listen to them. You understand what I'm saying? But it's not your business to judge people based on their past failures. Not anybody's business to do that. Amen. So God is the one who holds us in righteousness. Amen. Because of his shed blood. That was shed before the foundation of the earth. He was slain before the foundation of the earth. The years that went through went, went by with, with God teaching us about the blood. All of those years that he worked with the nation of Israel, he did it to teach them about the power of the blood. That's what it was all about. Whenever they would have to, to, to have offerings and sacrifices, God was teaching them about the power of the blood, the perfect blood that would come one day that would have de-necessitate them having to make these offerings over and over and over again. There would come a time where man could freely go to God in repentance and in humility and God would answer him and God would live with him and live in him and he would be there. They would be his people and he would be their God. That season is upon us now. We need to learn how to live as righteous people. Amen. Don't let the devil hinder you by asking you 20 questions about everything you do for God and trying to hinder you in telling you you shouldn't be doing that. Huh? It's the first thing he'll tell you. He'll try to censor you. He'll try to keep you from going forward. He'll try and, and make you, you know, sometimes when, when you have a plan from God and it keeps getting messed up and keeps getting messed up and keeps, he wants you to start blaming yourself. Huh? Yes. He said, well, you know, you shouldn't have done that. When you stepped out, you shouldn't have done that. The blood says, you're forgiven, step out again. You're forgiven, step out again. You're forgiven, do it again. You're forgiven, go for it again. You're forgiven, get up and go again. Amen? Get up and go again. People may hold you in contempt, but God never does. You gotta know the difference between the voices. Get up and go again. That's what God's saying. Get up and do it again. You're forgiven. Get up and do it again. Yeah, you let the devil grab on. Yeah, you got deceived by the devil. And yeah, you thought this was real this time, but get up and do it again. You're forgiven. If you confess, you're forgiven and you can get up and do it again is what the Lord's saying. He wants a people who understand his blood and his righteousness so well. That they will not stop going forward in God. They will not let a a problem stop them. They will not let uh, laws stop them. Government stop them. All of these things that are supposed to hinder us. they, They understand righteousness so well they would not be stopped by those things. He wants that kind of people. Amen. Amen. Bishop Russell, you want to come up and, and, uh, do you remember that chord you played before for the glory? The, yeah, if we'll get that going, I'm going to pray for some people who came because you need prayer for your physical body. Also, I'm going to pray for people and part to people, uh, the glory of God so that you can begin to lay hands on the sick and, um, and see God heal them. Amen. That's what we want. That's what we want you here for. So.